Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. And if you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here. And the one thing that we would ask this morning is that you would fill out the guest registration card located in the pew rack. Uh, There's a place if you'd like to receive our newsletter or if you have a prayer request, we would love to pray for you. Later on in our service, when we take up our offering, you can just drop that in the plate this morning and that can be your offering. As we um, continue to worship, What I want to do this morning is just take a moment to just be silent for a second, prepare our hearts, and uh, we're going to take a moment just to pray and uh, prepare ourselves as we uh, lift up the the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's, Let's take a moment to be silent. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, and God, we're so grateful that You are the God who saves, Lord, that you left heaven, you came to earth, you took our place, and you rose again. Father, as we reflect on that and as we encounter you this morning, Lord, I pray that we give you the glory and honor that is due your name. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us and let's, let's continue to worship together.
great old hymn, Jesus paid it all, because indeed he did. Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a Oh, 
Jesus, you are my cornerstone. I just, I love to pray scripture. I want to pray this verse, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6. It says, as you, come, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy 
priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see you today. I want to share a couple of things with you about our church before we look at God's Word today. First of all, this is Connection Group Leader Appreciation Day in our church. And so I want to take just a moment to express my thanks to those folks who work in our Sunday school, our connection groups, with preschoolers, with children, with students, with adults. This is about the halfway point of our church year, a church programming. We start in August. This is about halfway. Some of them grow weary battling preschoolers and middle schoolers and adults especially. And uh, man, we just want to encourage you to run the race. You're the key leaders in our church. You shepherd a group. You help connect people to God and to the Bible and to one another and to ministry. And we are grateful for you. And I hope you'll express your appreciation to our connection group leaders uh, today. So if you're new here, got some new folks here today, I want to encourage you to stay uh, right after this service uh, are our connection groups. And if you'll go to the Welcome Center up the ramp, then uh, you can. Uh, there'll be somebody there who will help you find a place you want to be. There's something for every age group. And that's how you get connected in our church. That's the next step, and we appreciate those folks so much. And then I want to say a word uh, about our intercessory prayer ministry. This is re-enlistment time for our intercessory prayer ministry. And we are asking folks to volunteer to pray for our church as a, at a designated hour each week for at least 15 minutes. And if you would help us in that, I want to encourage you to go by the Welcome Center today and uh, to sign up. There's a sheet for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There's a, a slot for every hour of the day. And our goal is to have somebody praying for our church, at least in all the waking hours of the week. And so we did this a year ago. We've done it a year now, but this is re-enlistment time. Some of your lives have changed or whatever, need a different slot. So it's re-enlistment. Everybody needs to re-enlist. Or if you're new in our church, would you join us in praying? We, we started this last January. And in this year since then, we baptized more people than in any other time in the history, any other year in the history of our church. We had higher attendance than any other time in the history of our church. We had a better giving we gave more to our world missions offering, more to our North American missions offering, all of those than any other time in the history of our church. I don't know if it was because we prayed like we did, but I'm willing to try it again and see, okay? So let's try it again and see. So uh, would you join us? I believe in intercessory prayer, and this will help you to get in a routine of praying. So you figure out in your schedule, when am I in my week that I could, I could sit down for 15 minutes, and there's a, a, there's a list of ongoing prayer needs. You say, what do I pray? There's a, a sheet there, I believe it's a yellow sheet, that has ongoing prayer, and then you supply your email address, and we'll send you every week our weekly prayer list of what's going on in our church, and our ministries, and our new members, and folks in the military, and all of that that you can pray for. So um, I hope you'll join us in that. I'm sharing a series of sermons through the book of Revelation. It's an overview of Revelation. Sometimes people tell me, I don't understand Revelation. I get bogged down in the details. Well, we're just sort of focusing on the, the big picture, the clear things that, that are so applicable to our lives because the main theme of Revelation is one of triumph and overcoming. If you've been with us, you know. If you're new, let me share with you. The key word in the book of Revelation is overcome, triumph, or victory. And it is the Greek word Nike. So that's why I have a Nike athletic shoe with me here uh, uh, each Sunday. And uh, uh, I, just to give you a memory device, and I know it's working for some kids because I had these on somewhere and a kid saw me and said, hey, that's those Bible shoes. So I'm glad that uh, somebody's connecting with that. And so what we do, uh, whenever I get to a verse that has the word Nike, translated overcome, triumph, or victory, I hold up this shoe and you say, Nike, because that's the, the theme of this uh, book is that Jesus is going to overcome. And if you're connected to him, whatever you're going through right now, 
you can live a triumphant life. Through his power, you can overcome what you're going through. You can live with victory, and that's what we're going to see. We'll have one, one occasion today uh, where we'll uh, do the shoe thing and, and the Nike thing. Now, I'm sharing seven themes in the book of Revelation. Let's review them. The first one, chapter 1, Jesus is alive and walks among his churches. That's the theme of Revelation 1 through 3. Foundational truth. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's here on earth among his churches. Second theme is God's on his throne. Still on on that first slide. Second theme, God's on his throne and Jesus controls the future in chapters 4 through 5. So that's a vision into heaven. What's going on in heaven now? Hey, God's got it. He's on his throne. And Jesus takes the scroll. He's in control of the future. Now, we come to, we're in today, this middle section, chapters 6 through 18, and we're looking, there are three themes there, uh, sort of a trilogy of themes as we go through this big middle section, the two we've had before. Number three, the forces of evil are strong and will temporarily conquer God's people, and uh, so uh, there's the possibility of persecution. Number four, though, God will pour out his wrath upon the earth. There is the stored-up wrath of God we saw last week. Some of God's wrath is revealed every day. Some of it is stored up because of his great patience and love. He doesn't want to pour out all his wrath on us, gives us a chance to repent. So it's being stored up. And so at times in history, and especially at the end of time, God will pour out his wrath upon the earth. Okay, today we come to the third theme in this section, the fifth theme overall. And that is that God will protect his people from his wrath. If you belong to Jesus, you will not experience the outpouring of his wrath because God protects his people from his wrath. So that's an encouraging word to us. We want to see it in this book of Revelation. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 1. So we're in some of this outpouring of God's wrath, but here we see God protecting his people. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. So God is about to let these angels send the wind of his wrath. This is some of those trumpets, some of those uh, acts of judgment. But before he does, he's holding them back. And it says, verse 2, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now that's a strange picture, but let me give you a little background. So before we go on, let me give you some Bible background for that. We can sort of think about it for a moment. If you know the story of Exodus in the Old Testament, when God was going to deliver the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, he sent a series of plagues on Egypt, outpouring of his wrath, to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And it tells of the plagues of gnats. There were gnats everywhere, and then flies And there was a a plague of hailstones that fell and frogs. You get up and there's frogs in your dishes and there's frogs everywhere. But, But you know what it says? Those plagues didn't come on the land of Goshen, the part of Egypt where the Israelites live. Hailstones didn't fall there. Flies didn't swarm there. God protected them from his wrath during the outpouring of that wrath. And when the final plague came, the worst of all, the death of every firstborn, they marked their homes. God told them to put blood of a lamb on the doorposts of their home. And the death angel would pass over those homes. And by that mark upon them, uh, signified they belonged to God. And even though the wrath came through the land, it passed over those who belonged to God. And again, background for this, understanding this, uh, in Ezekiel, again, the wrath of God was poured out on Israel because idolatry was going on in the temple and God's glory was going to leave the temple and God was going to destroy the temple. But God showed to Ezekiel a vision and he said, before this happens, I want you to mark on the foreheads those who are grieving over these things. Let me read it to you in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. He said to him, it was a man who had a a writing kit at his side. We'd say it was a guy with a Sharpie marker. 
And he said to him, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. Do you see both where these symbols come from in Revelation? And also, do you see the pattern that when God pours out his wrath, he protects from his wrath those who belong to him? He was to put a mark on their forehead. One one more piece of background in the New Testament It tells us that when you come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit within you. And it says that that Holy Spirit who comes to live within you is a seal who seals you until the day of redemption. Let me read it to you in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So, you see, you've been sealed from the wrath of God, that is, the wrath of eternal wrath of God in hell. You're not going to go to hell if you believed in Jesus because you've been saved and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's the guarantee and the deposit and the mark of his ownership that you won't pass through the dead. That's great, isn't it? So now, with all that background, we come to Revelation 7, and this is not so strange what it says about to seal these Now, is this seal in Revelation, is it an an invisible seal like the Holy Spirit? You can't see who has the Holy Spirit. That's an invisible seal known to God and known to you. Or is it a visible seal like the mark of the blood on the doorpost? I don't know. I don't know. But it's a seal that protects us from the wrath of God. Now, who is it that sealed? Let's go back to Revelation 7, verse 4. Pick up where we left off there. And it says, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. So who are these who are sealed? I've not gotten into too much of the controversy and the, and the details of Revelation, but let me just give you, there are a lot of different views on that. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the 144,000 sealed are those who were saved before 1935, and they're the only ones who will go to heaven. Everybody saved after 1935 will live on earth, but only 144,000, and I don't have time to tell you why they got 1935, but anyway, 1935 is 144,000, they're the ones who go to heaven. Seventh-day Adventists believe that the 144,000 who are sealed are those who uh, practice Sabbath worship, and so that the mark of the beast, all those who aren't sealed, are those who worship on Sunday. That's not good news for you, here, here you are on on Sunday, but they would say this, that would be the mark of the beast. That, that you're, it's an obvious sign that you're not part of the 144,000. Well, and then there are those, of course, who believe that, that believers aren't going to be on earth during this time, and these are literally 144,000 Jews who are saved during that time of tribulation. Let me tell you what I believe. Throw my hat in the ring. Here's what I believe. I believe these 144,000 represent all believers. The spiritual Israel, all believers are sealed. All believers uh, are protected from the wrath of God. And this 144,000 represents believers upon earth. Then in verse 9, there's another picture of a great multitude. I think this is the same group of those in heaven. Uh, remember, below the waterline and above it, if you were here for that sermon, well, the 144,000 is below the waterline on earth. We have the view. You're going to go through some tough times. Wrath of God's going to be poured out. But you take courage because you're going to be sealed with a mark on your forehead. And then above the waterline in heaven, here they are when they get to heaven. After this, verse 9, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then in verse, about this same group, down in verse uh, uh, 13, it says, Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. I don't know. You know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
This is a message of encouragement to first century Christians leaving in those seven churches in what's now Turkey, persecuted by the Roman Empire. And God was saying to them, I'm going to pour out my wrath upon the earth, but, but you're going to be protected from it. And you get to heaven, you're going to be a part of a great multitude from every tribe and nation. You'll come out of this great tribulation and your robes will be washed white in the blood. And it's a message to believers of all generation. You may go through tough times, but I'll seal you through that. And when you come through it, you'll be part of a great multitude when you come out of this tribulation. And it'll be a message to the end time, the last generation, when the greatest of all tribulations will fall. And the wrath of God will be poured out. And it's a message to those who say, you stand firm because you are sealed. And you will come through this tribulation. And when you come out of it, you'll be a part of a great multitude that no one can number. Now, we encounter this group again, sealed, in chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And so now we come to another detail about this sealing. It will somehow be related to the name of the Father. It's as if God's putting his stamp of ownership on us. I've got a, a stamp. I've had it for years that I can stamp my books. People borrow books. I've got this stamp that says, choo, choo, belongs to Brenton Cox. Just so in case you borrow one of my books, you'll look at it and say, oh, maybe I should take that back to him at some point. You know. So Mark said ownership. Well, well, God is going to stamp on your forehead his name that you belong to him. And he, it's a stamp of protection. So somehow it's related to his name. And it contrasts then to a mark of those who don't belong to him, who will have a mark on their foreheads in some way related to the name of the beast. Let me read to you in the same chapter, 14, verses 9 through 11. read some of these verses last week. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. So this mark as well will relate in some way to the name of the beast. You get the contrast it's making in chapter 14. There's only two groups. There are those who are sealed with the name of the Father and those who are marked with the name of the beast. And those of us who are sealed with the name of the Father are going to be exposed to persecution of the beast but protected from the wrath of God. Those who, who are marked with the beast will be protected from the persecution of the beast but exposed to the wrath of God. Which would you rather be? I'd rather be protected from the wrath of God. Let me show you a chart. This may be a little confusing to you, so I want to try to, to uh, put it all together, what I'm trying to say with, to you today. I'm saying to you that there are two groups of folks. There are those who follow Jesus. That's this column. And there are those who worship the beast. That's this column. Now, this chart talks about what Revelation says about suffering. And across here at the bottom is something that spans both columns. All of us are exposed to suffering from the curse of sin. I believe that believers and non-believers, Christians and non-Christians alike, are exposed to suffering from the curse of sin. We live in a fallen world, and until Jesus fixes this at his second coming, we're all exposed to that suffering that comes from the curse of sin. Now, I make a point of that because not everybody believes that, and I, I want to distinguish. I want to tell you what I believe a little bit here. I had a young man who uh, had been visiting our church a few months ago and asked if he could meet with me and ask some questions, and I said, sure, and he wanted to go to lunch, and I went to lunch with him. And he had been here when we observed, celebrated the Lord's Supper. And he said, I want to know why you didn't tell people when we celebrated the Lord's Supper that you're... Protect, the Lord's Supper protects you from sickness 
an illness. And I said, well, I don't believe that. Where'd you get that? And well, he told me that he uh, was a follower of Joseph Prince. Joseph Prince is a television preacher who's in what I would call a prosperity gospel of health and wealth. And he said, so Joseph Prince says that if you're, you take the Lord's Supper, you're protected from all sin. Believers, God didn't want us to get sick. I said, well, where do you get that? And he said, well, in Cor- Joseph Prince says in Corinthians, it says that some of them at Corinth had gotten sick when they took the Lord's Supper and they, and they weren't right with God. And I said, yeah, that's right. So he said, well, then the opposite of that is if you are right with God and you take the Lord's Supper, then you're good. You're not going to get sick. And I said, well, that's a little bit of a jump there. And I tried to go through Scripture with him and explain that I believe that, that all of us are exposed to suffering from the curse of sin. I couldn't convince him. Finally, I said to him, listen, how old are you? And he said, 22. I said, okay. If God lets you live long enough, you're going to get sick sometime. And when you get sick, I don't want you to have this guilt that, you've, that you are out of God's will. Because what I want you to understand, you remember what I said, that all of us are exposed to the curse of sin just by being human, believer and unbeliever alike. Didn't ever convince him. But that's a prominent teaching. This week, Gloria Copeland, the wife of television evangelist Kenneth Copeland, And listen, in my criticism of these folks, I'm not saying these folks don't do some good. I'm grateful they're preaching the gospel. But I want to delineate what I think is an error here. This week, Gloria Copeland on a Facebook video, you can go watch it, said that, talking about the flu epidemic, said Jesus is our flu shot. Said that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the flu. She was saying, you Christians, we can just, we don't have to get the flu. Uh, I, I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of his wrath. He saved us from our sins. And the, but I believe that we are exposed to suffering from the curse of sin. So if you've gotten the flu, I don't think you ought to feel guilty that you're out of God's will or you're not right with him because I think we're all exposed to the curse of, of, of uh, suffering from this evil world. And not only do we have that, but those of us who follow Jesus are also exposed to persecution. It's true of these first century believers. It'll be true in the last day. There'll be an antichrist, a beast, and and, uh, those who don't take the mark of the beast are exposed to persecution. Those who take the mark of the beast are protected from persecution. So if you're a Christian... You need to know that you can get sick and have all kind of common trouble, and you can also have persecution on top of that. Then why in the world be a Christian? Because we are protected from the wrath of God. And I had rather be exposed to all this other and be protected from the wrath of God, hadn't you? I don't want to give up being protected from persecution, but be exposed to the wrath of God. To me, that's a good trade-off. Joy that we have, I don't know how that will all play out in the last days, but the joy we have in knowing you go through this life and we experience the common pain and hurt and sickness and aging and death that everybody else does. And on top of that, sometimes you may suffer because you're a Christian. But the reason to endure is we are sealed with the name of the Father and protected from the wrath of God. And that's a good trade-off. I'd rather be exposed to persecution than exposed to God's wrath. So you see how this would encourage those first century believers? Do you see how they were trying to live for him and they're saying, God... Why is this happening to me? Not only am I getting sick with the plague and all this stuff, but now I can't buy or sell because of uh, of this Roman persecution. And God's message to them, I've got my name on your forehead. And you'll come through this. And when you're faithful to the end, you'll be a part of a great multitude. And you're protected from the wrath that's about to be poured out upon the Roman Empire. And the message in the last days is, there'll come a time when these two columns will be very obvious. I don't know how the mark and the seal will be. I don't know if the mark, I think, will certainly be visible. I don't know if the seal will be visible or invisible. But there'll be a clear delineation. 
And those who refuse to compromise their faith in Jesus are going to be exposed to persecution on top of all the regular suffering of the world. But it will be worth it because we will be protected from God's wrath. Now, now some of this, you may think this sounds, some of you may be saying, I think this is a little far-fetched. There's not going to be a day when people have marks on their forehead or marks on their hand or marks on their doorposts and it's going to expose them to persecution or keep them from persecution. Well, let me share with you a modern-day example that's just a little bit of a parallel. In 2014, when ISIS invaded Mosul in Iraq, Mosul, a center of Christians, large population of Christians, not too many now, but there were. When, when uh, ISIS invaded, they gave a deadline of July 19th, 2014, that each Christian in the city of Mosul had to either recant, that is deny Christ, or pay a tax or be killed. Those were your three options. To identify the homes in Mosul, this is a doorway, an outside gate to one of the homes, they put the Arabic letter N, looks sort of like a smiley face with only one eye is what it looks a little bit like. It's the Arabic letter N representing Christian. It's a slur, a, a pejorative term from Nazarene. Jesus was the Nazarene, and so Arabic letter N represents those who belong to the Nazarene. And so they put this mark on the doorposts of the homes of Christians in Mosul to mark them that they would either be killed or taxed or they would recant. There was an uh, aid worker in Mosul at that time uh, named uh, uh, Jeremy Copeland. Is that his name? Jeremy Copeland, I think is his name. Got a picture of him here in this next slide. He drew the letter N on the back of his hand and he posted it on social media as a statement of solidarity with the Christians of Mosul using the hashtag we are in and it spread worldwide and many of us even if in 2014 put as our status on social media this letter N saying we we are in we are Christians we stand with this persecuted minority isn't it interesting that in the book of Revelation, this marking with hands and so forth is still, the, the Bible is so relevant, so, so modern, so up to date. Here's the same kind of issue of that declaration of loyalty exposing you to persecution, but protecting you from the wrath of God. Message of the book of Revelation is things get tough and they may get tougher. And you can get sick being a Christian, and you can get killed being a Christian. But it will be worth it all because we'll be a part of a great multitude, and it's, we will be protected from the wrath of God. It's better to be exposed to persecution than exposed to the wrath of God. Well, let me end with the shoe thing. There's one more place in Revelation where we haven't, that we haven't read yet that has our key word in it. It's in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They, oh, you were a little slow there. Let's, 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 a little slow. Maybe I didn't give you enough warning here. Let, let me, let me, let's do this again one more time here. Starting in the middle of verse 10, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down, they over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Do you hear their triumph? They still got killed in their triumph, but they loved the Lord more than they loved their lives, and they triumphed by the blood of the Lamb and by their own blood. You can overcome whatever you're going through in life and whatever life may bring to you in days ahead. Because the Lamb has triumphed, and those who belong to Him will share His victory. Let's pray together. Oh God, I pray for folks who may be going through a tough time. Whether that tough time comes from just the normal stuff of life or from some persecution. Thank you, Lord, that you have overcome. 
I pray you'll encourage and strengthen us in our faith that we will overcome with you and know that joy and victory. I pray that even today there would be those who would change columns, who would say, I don't want to be belonging to the world or to the devil. I want to belong to Jesus. I put my faith in him. I pray this in his name. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to have a time of invitation. Would you become a follower of Jesus Christ? There's a price to pay in doing that. But there is a reward to be gained by following him that no one can rival. So if you become a follower of Jesus, you can be baptized next week. That's the mark of a Christian. That's the beginning point of the Christian life. Have baptism next week. Today, would you come and say, I want to follow Jesus? Or today, would you come and say, I want to join this church? I want to be a part of this company? this group, we'd welcome you. Or today, you have some things you need somebody to pray with you about. Somebody would be glad to pray with you. you can, if you come to me, I'll pair you with someone, or you can pray on your own. As God speaks to your heart, would you come and walk forward? God speaks to you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fare, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest friend but wholly trust in Jesus name Christ alone cornerstone we made strong in the Savior's love through the storm He is Lord Lord of when Christ shall come to hide His face I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. Thank you. Would you be seated, please, for a moment more, and we give our offerings now in worship. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, Lord, and Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity you give us to come here and worship you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross that we might have eternal life. Lord, we pray that we would put our trust and faith in him. Lord, we just ask that you bless this offering and these tithes that we're about to receive. Lord, just use them to honor and glorify you and, and uh, promote your work here in, the, in this place and in this community. These things we ask in Jesus' name.
my joy to introduce to you a new member coming into our church today. This is Sean Kennedy. Come stand by me, Sean, if you will. Jake, if you come stand with him. He's in Jake's Connection Group. Sean comes this morning. He's received Christ as his Savior. Comes to be baptized next Sunday. Will you welcome him into our church and rejoice with him? Amen. Praise God. We're so glad you're part of our church fellowship and glad you're here. You can have a seat for a moment, and uh, we welcome you. We look forward next week to those who will be baptized. Tim's going to come and close us out. Just want to point your uh, attention to the important announcements in the worship guide. Of, there's several of them, so don't, don't miss any of those. And if you're a first-time guest with us, I'd love for you to get a chance to meet our lead pastor. He'll be out at the welcome desk, so as you exit the doors, head down to your left, and you'll see him there. If you uh, don't have anything going on in the next hour, you're already here. You could join us for our connection groups. So that would be a, a great place to go down to the welcome desk and, and find a connection group uh, that you could be involved with as well. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you uh, for your love and for your protection, for your oversight over our lives. And Lord, I, I pray that uh, in the midst of life and the details of life and the, and the worries, the trials, that we can stay focused on you. Uh, keep us focused on your great commission, reaching out to those around us in our community, to our world. Father, we just want to stop and, and, and praise you for Sean and for his, his giving his faith and his life to you and for him joining our, our church and fulfilling the great commission. God, we thank you for your love. Be with us in this next hour. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen. One, two, three. We come along.